This is our Q&A with Michael Dorn from Starfest in 2016. Enjoy. How's everybody doing? Yeah. You have to excuse me, I've been talking for three days, and I'm bored with myself. So, I'm going to talk about something else. Uh, so, uh, I want to thank everybody for coming out. It's, um, it's been an interesting ride the last three or four years because uh, we started in 2012 doing the Star Trek Next Generation reunion tour, which was interesting. Yeah. Um, and something's come up on us pretty quickly now. It's the 30th anniversary when we started. So, no, it's not that exciting. It's, in fact, it's, it's pretty brutal to think about it. Uh, we've all been like, I go, it's 30 years, and I still like you? Oh my God. So, we've, uh, it's been crazy. It doesn't look like it's going to stop anytime soon. So, um, yeah, hopefully it has uh, Or you guys, I'm sure you must be, you know, crazy because, uh, you know, we have a new series coming up next year. Uh, and the, the movie's coming out this year. So you'll have Star Trek coming out to your ears for you know a while, so which is always good. Yeah. Uh, but just to kind of give an overview, I know these questions are going to come up. But, um, years ago, back in 2012, I had the idea of doing a warp spin. No, no, don't, don't clap. No, the story doesn't end well. Okay. <laughs> And uh, the people uh, kind of went out on the internet and we had a couple of producers that were very interested and said we'd love to talk to you about it and I chose these two guys. And it kind of was going really well. I wrote the script and everything was, was kind of going on very well and something happens as usual with Hollywood and they went away. Then I got with another producer and we started talking about it and he was very interested. And once again, it gets to a certain point. You, didn't, you know, the producer couldn't make it happen quick enough. And we hear that they're going to the next TV series. Which kind of means that we're not going to do the worst now because they're not going to have two shows on it. It's just not going to happen. So that part is kind of gone. Uh, yeah, I know, it was a little sad. See, I told you it wasn't going to end well. Um, but, you know, it was a little bit liberating because now it's, it's good because I, I wrote uh, another sci-fi show that has nothing to do with Star Trek, but it has sort of like the Gene Roddenberry feel of it being a people show, and, and, but it's going out there in space, battles, fighting, all kinds of really great stuff. So I'm finishing that up, and also I'm doing an aviation uh, pilot, which I should be pitching in the next month or so, which is going to be... Fantastic, I love that. Um, aviation pilot. Hey. I'm, I'm sorry, excuse me. Wow. It's been a rough weekend, hasn't it, for you guys? Because we're not in the mood for anything. Yeah, that was a stupid joke, yeah. Um, Anyway, but it's, uh, so that's, that's been my just, you know, who's ever taken that 
Yeah, but that is, those are the brightest things. You know, they are really bright. Thank you. <laughs> um, but otherwise, it's been, it's been a, a great ride. And who knows what's going to happen in the future. I mean, uh, somebody said today, well, Michael, you know, you can be on the new series. Because, I mean, we are in space for Christ's sake, so anything's possible. You know, anybody can come back, as we've seen in the last couple of movies. <laughs> anything's possible. But, um, but otherwise, it's been a great ride. I'm very happy, and I'm also really happy that you know the fans are still loyal and still come out to see us, and it's still part of uh, part of your of the lexicon out there. Uh, Star Trek is going to be around for a very long time, which is good too, because I was a big fan of the original show. So, so to see it after all these years and having me involved in it you know, all these years has been, you know, like a real dream come true. I just want to thank you guys for being with me. Uh, any questions? People were saying they had questions for me, but uh, I don't see anybody up at the... Uh... Where are they? Oh, hi. I'm not sure everyone's tired of me asking this one, but I've asked absolutely everyone's question. It's an interesting question. Sorry. That's okay, I'm nervous. I'm curious to see your answer. Okay. So, I wanted to display that if you could travel 500 in two years. <laughs> into either the past or the future on a one-way trip, what would you do and why? 502 years, uh, it definitely would be the future, first of all. And probably I'd be like a test pilot for some type of warp ship, you know, like nine million miles an hour or something. That would be that would be what I would do. Well, that wasn't a terrible question. Right. Tell us about flying your fighter jet. Flying my fighter jet. I'm going to make this short because a lot of people are going to go. Oh, right. uh, no, I started flying back in, in 1988, and I uh, uh, and then a few years after that, I got a chance to go with the Thunderbirds. I mean, excuse me, the Blue Angels. Uh, in the meteor ride, which is a single ship, and you go up and do all that kind of stuff. And that kind of got me uh, nuts about fighter airplanes, because I've always always loved it my whole life, the aviation And so uh, I found that you can own fighter jets. <laughs> and there's a magazine called Trader Plane. You go to Trader Plane, and it says, you know, uh, Cessnas, that uh, Fighters. And you look in there, you find them, and, and you can go and purchase them. And it's uh, once you have the hours, you can uh, you know, you just go and have one. And so the first one was uh, was called a Casa Jet. I had then I had a Lockheed T thirty three, which all how many pilots learned to fly those things. And then they said, well, Michael, you know, you can there's an F eighty six for sale. Okay. <laughs> I like that. And, uh, huh? There's a trade-in. I traded the T-33 for the F-86. And uh, it's very funny. 
because the 233 and all the airplanes I own are two-seat airplanes, so you're in front and the instructor's in the back, so you always have somebody there. And you're flying off when you do your solo. The guy's in the back, you know, it's all kind of real kind of safe. And so I'm going, yeah, cool, and I go into my little training. And then as the, I get the airplane, you get it ready to go. And they say, okay, Michael, you know, tomorrow you're going to go do your first solo in the F-86. And your first solo, it's a single-seat airplane. So your first solo is by yourself. You've never touched the airplane before. You, so I got my flight suit on, and I'm pretty cool. I'm walking out with my helmet, and I'm like, oh my god, what am I doing? <laughs> Michael, come on, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, oh boy, okay, Mr. Big Talk, Mr. Fighter Pilot, you want to do this, and so, uh, here I am, I jump in the airplane, taxi it out, and I go, okay, and I shove the throttle, and I take off, and I go, cool. So I go out to all these aerobatics and stuff for the, for the examiner and stalls and oh, I mean everything, and loops, rolls. And then it's time to land. <laughs> and I go, once again, oh my god, I've got to land it. What are you And so I just followed my instructor's advice, came in, landed. And every pilot will tell you, once you do your first landing, you're solo. It's like, oh my god, and you start doing a bunch of you just going around and around because you're like going, oh my god, this is great. So, and so it worked out because I didn't, you know, crash. <laughs> but that was the beginning. And luckily, just to put a, a button on something, I um, was fortunate because once you went with the Blue Angels, the fighter pilot aviation community and the services is a very small community. And they talk to each other a lot. Oh, we got a dorm. Oh, can you come with us? Okay. So I would give calls to my publicist from all these places. And my publicist didn't have an idea. She goes, Michael, I got a call from this uh, Tinker Air Force base. And they said, would you come out and talk to the troops and sign autographs and blah, blah, blah. And she says, they can't pay you, but they can give you a ride in something. <laughs> and I said, uh, really? She goes, yeah. And she goes, Michael, what's an F-16? It's a really nice uh, <laughs> And that went on for about three years. Three or four years. And finally, the last time that I had a, a flight with the military, uh, I was, uh, I'll tell you two quick stories. The last time was, uh, they said, oh, Michael, uh, this, these guys that you met a year ago, they want you to see if you wanted to go out to the aircraft carrier in an F-18. Oh, oh, oh. So we went through the whole thing, we went up to the Warren Naval Air Station up in Central California. They did all the tests, you know, we had to jump in the water, tread water, all that kind of crazy stuff. 
projections and training. And then the date comes, I fly the TPA through there, and I jump in the F-18, and we go south of Central California, down San Diego, and we go offshore about 50 miles. And it's just like they say that we've seen in the, the, the shows and everything. They, they say, it looks like you're landing on a postage stamp. Because we're flying all around, and all of a sudden he goes, okay, Michael, there's the, air, there's the uh, airplane at your 9 o'clock. I mean, there's the ship at your 9 o'clock. I go, what? I don't see it. He says, you see, wait, it's just a little thing. And you go, oh my God, we're going to land on that. And sure enough, come in. I'll make this short. We had a great time. Landed, I signed autographs for the people below deck. We did about four or five traps and, and, and cat shots. Really nice. On the way down there, he let me fly the airplane, and I'm all over this guy. I'm having a great time. I'm turning, I'm rolling. He's Michael, you can't do that. Just, they're watching me. They, you're going, you know, a thousand feet. They're going to say, what's going on? I'm on a flight. I said, okay, no problem. And I still was like, so with that, we, we get a catch on the carrier, we're coming up, and he goes, okay, you got the airplane. And I go, thank you. And I said, okay, this time, I'm going to be good. I'm going to hold altitude and airspeed and everything. And I'm flying, and I'm like, yeah. I got this. I'm holding altitude and airspeed for like an hour. And I'm just. And then something happened, I forgot what it was, but I went. <laughs> Nothing's happening. <laughs> and the guys in the front seat, Brian, I go, Brian, what did you do? <laughs> Disconnected me. <laughs> There's a little switch that can turn off the back seat completely. And I'm flying for an hour, and I'm like, Michael, he says, Michael, I just couldn't take it anymore. You're just... <laughs> so that was, that was great, though, but it was, it was amazing. And then my last little story is that the Blue Angels, I did about three or four videos for them, voiceover videos. And they said, and after the media flight, I was told, you only get one flight with the Blue Angels. That's it. Everybody. And I said, okay, great. So after I did some videos for them after my one flight, they said, okay, Michael, we're going to give you a, a flight with the Blue Angels. I went, wait a minute, I thought I only get one flight. And they said, no, 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 this is going to be information for the Blue Once again, I'm the coolest guy in the world. <laughs> and so the first time I go down to Miramar uh, and I get bumped by a, an admiral, or a general. And I go, okay, he's a general, I know the guy, okay, I understand. So I get bombed, you can't go, Michael. The second one was at Point Magoo up in Central California, uh, Southern California. But uh, Point Magoo is known for bad weather, low clouds, everything. So on the day, I'm up there, ready to go. Michael, I did a test of the Boston Blue Angels, I did a test, we got into a low show, a little close to the ground. You can't go. No problem. But we'll give you another ride. Then they said, we're going to be at Fleet Week up in Oakland, California. Come up there. Okay, great. 
like Tuppet Man 56 to go up there, and I'm super cool. Get out of my 56, they take me into the briefing where the pilots do their little briefing before they take off, and it's really kind of cool, and, and it's close to everybody except the pilots, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, I'm the coolest. <laughs> so they said, ready to go. So we all get out, go jump in the airplane. I get in the airplane, strap me in, the guy says, good luck, Michael, thank you, you know, and Canada comes down, and the airplane breaks. <laughs> I mean, breaks. This little um, voice is aileron, aileron, aileron. The guy speaks, they're taking out boxes and taking out stuff and trying to, nothing. The airplane does not work. And so, after about 20 minutes, the guy says, well, I'm sorry, I got good news and bad news. Good news is we've got another airplane, bad news is you can't go. So he gets out, he goes to the airplane. Kennedy comes up, I get out, walking back. The little sailor guy comes up to me, he goes, oh, Mr. Doran, here's a video of your flight. I go home, put in the video. I get in the airplane, they've got a little camera pointing this way, get in the airplane, all smiles. Canopy comes down, Canopy comes up, and get out. <laughs> Finally, the guy says, they call me later, they go, Michael, don't worry, we have another flight for you. And I go, I think I'm not going to do this. <laughs> I think three times is enough for me. Somebody's telling me something, so. But anyway, it was good. That's, that's the aviation. No more aviation stories. <laughs> yes. Uh, can you tell us about working with a set of Ted 2? Uh, Ted 2. Uh, it was uh, quite an experience um, for a number of reasons. I uh, set the car that is a wonderful guy. I mean, he's a great guy, but he's also very talented, very talented, very smart, knows his stuff. And so when they called me, just a call out of the blue, they said, hey, would you like to do this? I said, well, sure, let me, you know, let me read the script. And I read the script, and it was a little odd at first, because I go, I'm supposed to be Patrick Warburton's boyfriend. <laughs> now, I've never done that before, but I kind of went, as I read more and more, it got to be funnier and funnier. Because we were the most horrible gay couple I've ever seen. I mean, we were, we were actually, like, mean to <laughs> people. And, uh, and then they said they wanted to do a, uh, a sort of homage to the conventions. And so they said, would you mind getting dressed up? And I said, nope. Nope, not going to happen. But if it's the worst makeup and costume that I've ever seen, then yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> so, and it was the one thing about Seth is that he's an easy guy, and his sets are very easy. I mean, there's no, there wasn't a lot of problems. There wasn't a lot of angst. There wasn't a lot of you know overtime and stuff like that. I mean, he just basically gets it done, and he's and he listens to. You know, if you have any advice, and he'll listen to it. He'll let you do it, and he'll say, "Nah," or say, "Yes." At least he lets you do it. 
So it was a, it was a wonderful experience. We had a good time. Thank you. Yes. Hi, just a little question. You're flown in a hurricane hunter? No, I never flown in a hurricane hunter. They don't have two seaters. <laughs> oh, no. Wait. There's a hawk or hurricane, and then there's a hawk or hunter. Oh, no. No, I would, I would never do that. That's, that's insanity. That's, that's really insanity. I mean, I'm fine with ducks, but I'm not that. I mean, usually, usually you see people running away from hurricanes, you know, running screaming. You know, these guys are going, no, let's go over there. It's nice. I would never do that. Yes? What's it called, and how long does it take for the makeup applications to come forth and then become you again? Uh, it's, uh, it started off to be three hours um, on the TV show, and they got it down to two hours. Uh, but then for the movies, it's always three hours. And it's only about 30 minutes to become Michael Dorn. Because they just kind of ripped it. <laughs> they don't care. So them, more it doesn't feel pain, so. Your character on Next Gen and DS9 What was your favorite role when you were with your son? Who played your son on the show? Was it the young kid or was it the older guy? Oh, uh, my, I know the younger guy was uh, Brian Bonson. But I can't remember the older guy, but, but really good guy. Uh, you know, I gotta say, I like the older guy. Just because uh, it was really an adult relationship, you know, that they were going through. And, yeah, and the kid that played the role was, was really good. And uh, even though they still had their moments, they really came to an understanding about each other. That promised, promised another role for you, but did that touch you or something? Um, as, a, as an actor, as a, doing your own, doing your character on your own? No, no, it didn't touch me at all. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just not get deep here. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is that there, I mean, I was, I, I mine was raised by my mother and my aunt, so my dad wasn't around, but, but still it wasn't, it wasn't the same thing. I mean, you know, Warwick, and I talked about this before, Warwick was not a great father. But the thing that about, about him is that he was, he was at least learning. He was present. Uh, he was present. He was present. In his own self. And, and so, and that's a good thing about him. And, and even when uh, the, the story in Deep Space Nine, he had sent his son away again. And the son came back. So they had to kind of, you know, re, you know, get reacquainted. But, but it, like I said, it, it was. Uh, I thought it was a very true delight. And I didn't have anything to do with the, the writing. Of that. It was all the writers that that, uh, that did that, and I loved what they did. I thought it was it was very, at least, not you know, sort of everything is so wonderful. You have an episode, and everything turns out well. A little war with the sun and the moon. No, it's not. Hi. Hi. Um, I was wondering about in the later seasons of Star Trek Next Generation when you were doing Tai Chi yes. as work, and since work has pretty much become the most new agey Klingon that ever won, 
Did you have any say, or did you come up with that as part of character yourself? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. That was that was all me, and um, and, and the special effects supervisor on the show was a martial arts expert. Can, can I ask what style you were um, demonstrating on the show? Well, it was a mixture. I don't know about I don't know about what style of Tai Chi, but it was a, it was Tai Chi. It was very easy, fluid, and it's it's basically when you start getting ready to do martial arts or you know exercise or whatever you're going to do, you go through this these motions to kind of center yourself, get yourself ready for whatever you do. And that's what that's what he was teaching. And so all of that is really martial arts movements. And but the fighting that I did was a little bit of martial arts, but a little bit of what my impression of what Klingon fighting would be. So thank you. You're welcome. Hi. Hi. Uh, <laughs>
job and the ratings come up, they're very happy and you're you know, the hero, basically. And if you don't, then you're just like an overpaid asshole. <laughs> Which I've been before. So. Anyway, uh, that's another story. Uh, and the other one is that um, I really wanted Ward to, to become more, to have more dimensions to it. And that's one thing I really wanted to do. And they were very good about it, so that was nice. Well, I mean, for one man's opinion, I think you've succeeded in both well, of those. Thank you very much. Thank you. You're welcome. The only thing about those two shows with that, uh, and I'm sure you've heard about this before, is that uh, the, our show was, was, although we were, we did our jobs, and we were present, there, they said action, and we knew everything. Uh, we were having fun, laughing a lot, um, making fun of each other. It was, it was just amazing. It was a loud set, you know, very loud set. And, but you get over to Deep Space, and they were very serious. <laughs> Hi, Michael, how are you? Yes, what's your name, Stan? Yeah, sure. Oh, no, don't. don't. So, uh, 
Um, but we can time travel at the blink of a hat. Blink of a hat. I think it's time to come go home. Uh, we can time travel at any time we want. Uh, so, so I think it's everything's possible. But nobody from nobody from the show or from the Paramount CBS has said anything. We were just talking. They said, you know, what? it's possible. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Um, I was wondering uh, what about Klingons resonates most with you personally, and then what about them being resonates least with you personally? Uh, the, the thing that I've always liked about the Klingons is that they're, they're kind of swashbuckling in a way, uh, without all the killing and everything. I mean, they really are kind of, you know, these kind of swashbucklers and they get out there and, you know, they're loud and big and, you know, have, have a lot of life. And I, and I always liked that from the very beginning. And they're eloquent. And they are, um, you know, literate. I mean, they really are well-read and they understand history and their own you know, place in the world. And I, and I always liked that. And they are Incredibly brave. The, the thing that that least resonates with me is their willingness to um, to blindly die for anything. Uh, you know, it just you kind of go, mm, you know, what we're supposed to die for? No, I don't think so. I mean, there's a part of me. I mean, interestingly enough, the last uh, episodes of uh, Deep Space Nine there was with the uh, one of the original Klingons, John Calipos, who was a, just a, a joy to work with and a lovely man, and I, I totally had a ball working with him. He was so cool. But there was something when he when he died, and he knocked me out, and he says, you know, this, the gates of Stovacor. Now, they really believe that. I mean, that is, you know, that's what I believe. I'm gonna, that's where I'm gonna go, you know. But they do it for all the right reasons, you know. They do it for, he was saving a whole bunch of people, you know. He was sacrificing because that's, you know, and that is noble. It's just the guys that are like out there, I'm gonna fight and die because that's what you do, you know. So, and the tea, that doesn't resonate. <laughs> that doesn't resonate with me at all. It's so funny, they, there was a crazy story about the tea. The guys, they had the false tea, and it was just ridiculous. And I was doing some scenes, and the producers come down, and the producers, all they do is sit around trying to figure out what to change. And they go, you know, Michael, we have a problem. Oh my God, what is it? Am I not acting as maybe the, the no, no, your teeth, I don't know, what are you talking about? Your bottom teeth, they're too straight and clean. Okay, have you looked at me lately? You know, I'm sure that, you know, people aren't in the audience going, you know, I believe the clean-out stuff, but the teeth. 
just doesn't really do it right. So that was the thing. And then there's a couple of shows where they actually made rotten bottom teeth for me to wear. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, but that was the thing that didn't resonate with me. Hi. I have a question. Somebody sort of made back on somebody else's question earlier, kind of stole my question. Was it sort of like you got drafted to be to Deep Space Nine, or was it sort of always in the plan, or did it come apart when they got into the writing of how, you know, Way of the Warrior Parts 1 and 2 were going to go on and stuff like that? Like, were you always an idea to yeah. Rick Herman and Michael Miller, or was it just kind of like came about when they wound up in a situation where they were about to be at war with the Cardassians and the Cardassians? Yeah. Wow. I think it, it came about long before they asked, uh, long before they wrote the script. I think that they said, we are in trouble, and we need to get something. Right. And I think I came That's first. That's actually the Yeah, and then I came first, and then the, uh, they wrote a script to match that. Right. I think that's the way it yeah. But no, I wasn't trapped. It was more like, if you put it in a sports analogy, I was like, you know, um, a free agent. And they said, God, we need somebody at split end. So I think that's how it is. Do you have an NFL team? No, I don't. You don't care? No, I, well, I care. Guy. My football team. Huh? Let me tell you something. We don't want to start down the road. Although I gotta tell you, I I I do think that Peyton uh, on the way to go out. In his career, I am in my career. That's how I am in my career. But, uh, but no, see, I don't have a team because I was a, a Rams for for many years, and then they said, well, we don't want to pay for the team, so they moved. And then they brought on the Raiders, who I hate. And they were there, and I'm like, well, I'm, and then they go back. I'm like. No, I don't have a team. I love football, but I just don't have a team. You all. Hi. So just like the first question you asked, the audience has heard it, but you haven't heard your answer to it, so I'd like to know where's your favorite place to vacation? The audience asked me that? No, the audience has heard the question. Where's my favorite place to vacation? Where's your favorite place to vacation? It's kind of funny, but I love San Francisco. I mean, and I take that back. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm a big fan of London. I love London. Um, it's kind of hard. I mean, it's Europe is great. I've, I've been all over that place, and I really think a lot. Now that I think about it, Munich. Uh, 
I just love it there. I mean, the people are super cool. I mean, it doesn't hurt that I I had October for us there. <laughs> I think that's the last time that I drank. Um, but I went there with a, with a good buddy of mine who's German, and we went into a chalet and we drank. And the first time I'm like, oh, I'll just take a little sip. And by the by the fourth tank, I was speaking German. <laughs> And um, we, uh, it was, it was pretty, pretty fun. So, so that was fun. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Go New England. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, did you cheat to get that watch? Tired of me now or something? 
I think that's it. He goes, yeah. <laughs> anyway. I'm sorry? Oh, yes, yes. Um, I won't mention that anymore. <laughs> About the cops and the handcuffs and things like that. No. You haven't heard that question because nobody has the guts to bring it up. <laughs> Lady? Anyway, I want to thank you guys for coming out. It's been a fabulous experience. If you like this, check out some of our other shows like D20 Proof, Knapsack Comedy, and Mr. Right. You can find us at www.bacnpodcast.com and by searching for BACN on iTunes and Stitcher. Oh, yeah.